everybody. Welcome to Confabulation, the podcast. I'm Matt Goldberg. And I'm Deb Vanslet. Welcome to season four. I'm so happy to be back and not just back with the podcast, but back, Deb, seeing you in person. We're looking at each other in the eye. Across a tiny table. This is real. This is good. How have you been? I've been great. (laughs) I've been good. And I think to launch season four podcast, what's also really fun is that we have launched a like a new season of stories live. We're back live. Yeah. Yeah, it's exhilarating. And I feel like storytellers are just busting with you know, new tales to share. And it's exciting for us to sort of we we really have a great roster for the season ahead. And we are coming back to you with stories from one of our first shows back live and in person uh, from May 2022's Signs and Symbols event at the Centaur Theater. We've got two stories exploring this topic of signs and symbols, what things represent. And kind of curiously, both of these stories uh, come back to the body as a source of symbolism. One story features uh, a body uh, and unwanted modification and attention, and the other is all about the uh, symbols that the storyteller uh, designs for her own body. Yeah, I love the body as a topic. It's a, it's a theme we've come back to a few times, and I did find it really remarkable that signs and symbols, uh, a theme that has nothing directly to do with the body, brought these storytellers back to that the body as subject idea. I mean, I just think about our relationships to our bodies. So so much of our stories are about how we live in our skin. And these are two stories that I think do that really beautifully. So the first story in this episode is by Julia Haney, and she is a first-time storyteller at Confabulation. Do you want to make them bigger? This is the first thing that the plastic surgeon says when he looks at me. And I'm sitting on the examination table with my hospital gown wide open. I exchange a quick what the fuck glance with my mom, who's sitting on the chair behind him, and say, ah, no, I'm perfectly happy with them as they are, actually. In other words, I'd rather not have to be doing anything to them in the first place, but here we are. I'm 32 years old, and it's been less than a week since my official diagnosis of invasive ductal carcinoma, also known as breast cancer. My tumor has spread so much throughout my right breast that it's been decided that I'll need to have a mastectomy and reconstructive surgery. I don't smoke, and... I don't have a significant family history, so suffice to say, this news has come as a bit of a shock. And I'm a little bit more concerned with staying alive than I am with getting a free boob job out of the situation. The plastic surgeon continues to explain the reconstruction process. They will simply lift up my pec muscle and place the implant underneath because it looks better that way. I say that sounds pretty painful, and I express some concern over how that might affect my range of motion, seeing as I'm pretty active. He replies, ah, it'll be fine. Takes around five weeks to heal. 
He continues to explain another reconstruction option where fat is removed from the abdomen because it creates a more realistic looking shape. He then looks down at my stomach though and cracks a joke that I might have enough fat to work with after I have a few kids, but for now, we better stick with an implant. <laughs> my mom and I decide to get a second opinion. <laughs> that night, I go for a 10-kilometer run around Mount Royal at dusk. Movement has always been my medicine. No matter how hard or messy life gets, I've always found it easy to just put on a pair of running shoes or grab my yoga mat, get out there, and get it done. And I always feel better for having done it. Enamored by the dusty pink skyline that's poking through the trees, I suddenly trip over a root that's sticking out of the ground, and I fall flat on my face. I get up, dust myself off, and I keep going. I feel keenly alive. I make a pact with myself that no matter what happens, I won't compromise the way that my body works just so it can look better. During the second opinion, we're relieved to find out there, that there is such a thing as a pre-pectoral reconstruction, where the chest wall is left entirely alone. The recovery time is quicker, and there is less chance of complications. When my hospital gown is tied back up, plastic surgeon number two asks, and are you happy with your current size? <laughs> yes, yes I am. The big day comes, and it's time to say goodbye to Righty. Everything goes as well as it could. In order to make sure that my new breast heals in the right shape, I'm given this rock-hard tissue expander. It juts out kind of comically from my chest, and I can't help but notice that it's significantly larger than my left breast, which confuses me a little bit. During my first appointment, post-op, I express this confusion to the resident who's checking up on me. He eagerly replies, oh, not to worry. They can always put an implant in the left side to even things out if I want. Oh, gee, thanks. I think I'll pass. Maybe it's just me, but I don't like the idea of cutting into my perfectly healthy left breast, potentially severing more nerve endings, and definitely enduring more pain, just so I can more closely resemble some outdated societal ideal. And besides, in 2019, we all know that big butts are all the rage anyway. <laughs> like, come on. There are many more occasions where it's assumed that I'll want to go bigger when the time comes to remove the tissue expander. All these 20-something-year-old male residents at the plastic surgeon's office seem to be trying to communicate something to me about my body that I should already be aware of, but I refuse to play along. I spend a lopsided year and three months with the tissue expander in, and a lot happens during that time. I do the whole chemo and radiation thing and all my hair falls out, I start a new job, a global pandemic arises. I move into an apartment on my own and I get a cat and my hair starts to grow back curly. It's not curly anymore, but that's another story. I continue to move my body 
as much as I can, no matter what, and my range of motion pretty much returns back to normal on my right side. Right on the verge of the second wave in Montreal, the dreaded code red creeping in, the time finally comes for me to swap out that tissue expander in favor of a nice, squishy silicone implant. Pre-op, my plastic surgeon dares ask, and will you be wanting to do anything to the left? Don't touch it! I interrupt, my eyes glaring above my mask. Please don't touch it. He gets the message. Because I did radiation, they have to make another incision, a new mark to add to my permanent collection. But no one will notice with my clothes on anyway. That's the point, my plastic surgeon says to the resident standing beside him. And it's true. I can go about my day in just about any outfit, and no one would know the difference. But at the same time, I don't want to hide. This is a part of who I am. My body has unfailingly continued to carry me through this world with grace and strength, and it continues to do so. In fact, I just signed up for my first ever marathon last week. <laughs> when I look in the mirror, I like what I see, clothed and unclothed. And the liking feels like a rebellious act. For me, bigger isn't better. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. Our next storyteller is a returning confabulator, though it had been a long time since we'd had her on the show. Uh, this is former and once again confabulation producer Lee Kinch Pedrosa. That's a, a slight misquote from Macbeth. Um, it's also my first tattoo. <laughs> Lady Macbeth, she, she sees blood on her hands. It's a hallucination of the guilt she feels over murder. And she, she stands center stage, scrubbing the blood from her hands and scouring them. And it's very dramatic and dark and broody and everything that was very important to me when I was 18. And so I have this tattoo, and it is a tramp stamp. <laughs> and forgive the, the expression, but it really is the best way of describing my first and worst tattoo. When I got this tattoo, I used to tell people that I had done terrible things. And that, you know, I got the tattoo because I wanted to remember my guilt, to hold myself responsible for it. What terrible things? I yelled at my mom a bunch. I got suspended for smoking pot in the back of Josh Hamilton's station wagon that one time. But I left that out because it's not important. Because if I just told people that there were terrible things, then they would think that I was dark and broody and intellectual, which was very important at the time. So this is a story in five tattoos. And that was number one. Number two is the Bob Marley tattoo. Here's the thing, you're probably not gonna like this. I don't like Bob Marley. <laughs> I just, 
I know a lot of people do, and that's wonderful for them, but it's just, it's not my thing. However, at the back of my neck are four words. Get up, stand up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know why they're there. And honestly, like, I really, I don't remember getting this tattoo. I don't remember who did it. I don't remember why we did it. I don't remember uh, any sort of, you know, emotional resonance with the song, Get Up, Stand Up. But, you know, I did let somebody, I must have, let somebody use a needle to jab it into the back of my neck so that it would be there forever and ever and ever. <laughs> um, but the story I would tell about it was that, so at the time, it was the early aughts, and I lived in Ottawa, and as you would know from recent events, Ottawa's a big protest now. And they're not always garbage protests. They're also, you know, when George Bush came to town because he was launching this big Iraq war, we all went out, and we were really, really mad about it. And so I would tell people that this was a commemoration of my time on the front lines facing down uh, riot police. And that's true, and it's very compelling, but it is not the reason why I got this tattoo. <laughs> Those are different events, and I don't remember why, and that's, that's that. Tattoo number three, the sunflowers. I got these sunflowers on my back, and they are on a vine, which doesn't make any sense, because if you've seen a sunflower, it's... <laughs> It's very characteristic. <laughs> it's on a stock. It's not on a vine. Anyway, they're back there, uh, and each one represents something that I hold dear. And I, I, like, I don't mean to be snide to my 19-year-old self, but the things that you hold dear when you're 19 are not necessarily the things you're going to hold dear when you're 34. <laughs> so um, the first one, let's examine it. The first one is for the theater. Now, I, I do think that the theater is special. I do. I'm standing in one right now. I think that they are precious, and they need to be cared for, and it's really important. But let's, you know, I haven't been to a play in 10 years, and I did not become the actor that I really, really wanted to be. I work in marketing. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> the other one, uh, another uh, of the sunflowers, that's for Chloe. And Chloe, Chloe's meaningful. Chloe uh, was the first friend that I made when I moved to Ontario from Montreal. Uh, and she really did have an impact, and she did shape the person that I am today. But I haven't done much to maintain that friendship. And I don't know where in the world Chloe lives. <laughs> that's a little sad. Uh, the sunflower in the middle, the biggest one, that's for my beliefs. <laughs> what beliefs? <laughs> I don't know, it didn't matter. We can leave those details out because if you just tell people that you have a tattoo, that you will always get up and stand up for your beliefs, then it's gonna be really cool and you're gonna be very intellectual and broody and people are gonna like that. Tattoo number four, the ones in my ears. Yeah, <laughs> it's gross. <laughs> the ones in my ears I got because I wanted something shocking. At the time I was dating a boy and uh, he used to perform in freak shows, and he had these gauges that you could stick your fist through, and his special talent was that he took metal hooks and he would put them through the skin on his back, and then he would hang himself from the ceiling. And, <laughs> and I felt that when I hung out with his friends that I was really small and like a poser, and since I wanted to be this person who was a person of action and not a poser, I decided that I was gonna get my ears tattooed. And so now I have these big red 
um, roses in the cartilage, and they kind of look like scabs now, but that's another point. And then it says mom, and it says dad on the earlobes. Um, and I went to my parents, and like a snarky little like 20-something-year-old, I said, you remember, you remember when you joked about how I have so many tattoos and none of them are for you? Well. <laughs> so, and so my mom says, oh, I, I, um, I didn't want you to get them on your head. <laughs> and so by this point, the tattoos, they're becoming, you know, the stories are becoming thinner. And uh, they're kind of irreverent and they're kind of a joke, right? Um, I got them to piss off my parents and to impress a boy who hangs himself from hooks. That's a really good joke. <laughs> but they start to come apart, the stories, and I think in kind of a good way. So it's Montreal park season, and I'm out in the park. Gabe and Julia and Malia are there, and we're all drinking PBR in the grass, and we have a day off from the cafe that we work at in the plateau. And oh my gosh, this is the best day with the best friends. And what are we going to do as Montrealers that are sort of high off their own leisure? Let's go get a tattoo. <laughs> so Malia draws us all pictures, and um, she has a, a chair for herself and a, uh, a, a tic-tac-toe grid for Juliette, and a wine glass and for Gabe, and I got uh, a beet, and it's like the vegetable on my arm, and now it's there. Uh, and at the end of the day, we all have this really cute memento in the form of bandages on our arms and legs, of just, you know, a really nice day. Um, and I, like, I know it sounds kind of stupid, but I actually, I really, I really like this tattoo, because the story behind it is really just, you know, I, I had a really nice day so I got a tattoo. Um, it's been 10 years since I got a tattoo. I have, uh, I have two kids now, so the priorities have changed a little bit. I don't care so much about coming off as this dark and broody intellectual. Um, <laughs> I've let go a lot of the stories that I, that I used to tell about the tattoos, because the, you know, they're just not that important. And I've even sort of let go with the regret I have about the bad ones, because they're all part of me now, right? They're part of this story that I do have to tell about uh, letting go of needing to tell like a definitive broody story about yourself. I'm standing here right now confessing to you all that I used to tell bullpucky stories about myself because I just like who I am now and it's not as important as to me and I am very proud that I like the person I am, and it has nothing to do with dark and broodiness. I'm clear-eyed about who I am. I'm clear-eyed about the fact that things change, and things fade, even tattoos. Thanks, Ethan. All right. Thank you, Lee and Julia. I love these stories. And right after the show, they really jumped out to me as stories we needed to feature on the podcast. I know you had the same kind of reaction, Deb. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something to mention is that the podcast uh, is a place where we're going to be featuring the stories. But we also have a YouTube channel. So you can, in fact, watch the stories. You can see the tattoos. We don't zoom in, but but they're there. They're there and live and in person on the videos. So listen to the podcast and go to the YouTube channel. And of course, 
come to some live shows if you can, if you're in the city. All the information on that can be found at confabulation.ca. We're linking to our YouTube channel in the podcast notes and anything else that seems important. Deb, thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks. Confabulation, the podcast, is produced and edited by Deb Vanslet. Special thanks to Bent by Elephants for use of their song, Can't Have You. And of course, thank you as always to our sponsors, the Canada Council for the Arts and the Conseil des Arts de Montréal. We literally couldn't do this without you. 